You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton, Kevin Cook, and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Hello, 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 and welcome into episode 87 of the Weekly Brew Podcast. I'm your host this week, Kevin Cook, uh, at Cook on Twitter. I work for the Houston Chronicle, sports guy. I uh, kind of cover the northwest area of Houston, and uh, I got my fingers in the dikes of all uh, Houston sports, pro college, and otherwise. Uh, filling in this week for the rest of the crew. Uh, you may notice I'm alone here. Uh, we are, as you know, the voice of Houston, uh, or so we claim, and we've got a terrific, if brief, show on tap for you today. How... That would be a brew pun if you weren't paying attention, and I absolutely nailed it. Thank you. Coming up, we've got an in-depth interview with MLB Network's Robert Flores, a former Sports Center anchor. We talk a little Astros baseball, World Baseball Classic, and a little overlap between us. I happen to cover the Cy Falls Golden Eagles, where Robert's brother Richard is the head coach, and uh, Roflo, as he's known on Twitter, was in attendance as the Eagles knocked off San Antonio Wagner to bring a little hardware back to the city of Houston. And uh, he's very proud of what his brother Richard's been able to accomplish. we dig into that a bit also. But first, you may notice I sound different. Uh, not in the studio, not in the normal studio today. I also am clearly alone. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's a bit of a more intimate vibe. I don't know what you're doing right now or how you're listening. But uh, to set the scene here, it's wall-to-wall candles here in my apartment. And I am in the mood to talk sports with you. It's been a crazy week. Austin's been overseas, and various co-hosts are flung to the four winds. Uh, we'll all be back in-house next week. And uh, in addition, we'll have Baylor AD, former UH AD, Mac Rhodes, talking uh, Baylor Bears, Houston Cougs, and just the landscape of college athletics generally. He's a very bright, entertaining guy, and he's got an interesting perspective that I'm sure you guys will enjoy, particularly those of you into the college athletics scene. But before we get to Robert Flores, I want to dive into some of the headlines very quickly. Astros opening day is Monday. Astros open with a four-game series against the ALS rival Mariners. No Towels Hill at Minute Maid Park this season for the first time in a long time. Are you upset? Is there anything I could say or do that would make you upset? I would like to generate some outrage over this, but I have had zero success so far. It is not getting any traction. No one seems to care that much. Uh, Down to the players, who really don't seem to think it's going to have that much of an impact and don't find themselves excited to talk about it. But if you've got some strong feelings either way, Tweet at me, at KMichaelCook, or at the show, at Weekly Brewcast. Let us know what you think. And, uh, you know, if it's not terrible, if it's a reasonably good take, maybe we'll read it on the show. We get into all that uh, and more with Flores talking MLB in just a few minutes. But uh, of interest to me, the Naismith Memorial uh, Hall of Fame. So just so you know, there's no NBA Hall of Fame, right? There's a, there's a basketball, like a holistic, ecumenical Basketball Hall of Fame. It is called the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame. Uh, the inductees of the season, uh, this season, this year, 2017, uh, headlining him of some local interest, Tracy McGrady, seven-time All-Star, seven-time All-NBA, two-time scoring champion. Uh, scoring champion, not a real thing. There's no trophy for that, but uh, it's something we declare every season. And uh, weirdly by average instead of by total points, which, um, you know, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I'm not sure if I should feel any way about it. But that's the most recognizable marquee name on the list would be McGrady. T-Mac, as he was known. A bit of background regarding me and Tracy McGrady. Um, you know, 
I've mentioned before on the show, if you've listened consistently, you know how I feel about McGrady. There's the 13 points uh, in 35 seconds against the Spurs, kind of a just a legendary type of moment that, that I remember watching and just sort of defining a whole era of basketball experience for me. And I remember, I mean, I used to go to uh, to watch Tracy McGrady all the time. You know, my dad would take me. Uh, I remember these games. I remember weird little details. Like there was this Gwen Stefani song that was really popular. Sweet Escape, I think, was the name of it during the Yao McGrady era, and they would play that song while the ball was live, which I don't, I don't think they even do anymore. And I, McGrady would just start feeling it, and you could see him move with like a little more purpose and intensity. Like the song just really got him fired up, and it was these little things I noticed because I was always locked in. He was my guy. He was the star of the team that I loved, and, and he defined, uh, you know, loving basketball for me. He was kind of my uh, my gateway drug into the world of NBA hoops. And uh, you know, you never forget your first, I guess. And I'm not sure McGrady would. Uh, appreciate me characterizing it that way, but but it's kind of the way it is. So I, I'm obviously glad to see him go in the Hall of Fame. But as you look at his resume, played for the Raptors, who drafted him. The Magic was kind of where he came to prominence. Then he was uh, a legitimate superstar, I think. By the time he got to the Rockets, you know they were getting what they thought was a superstar, uh, a one-two punch with him and Yao. Uh, and then, of course, after the Rockets, uh, never won a championship, <laughs> did not have as much playoff success as they certainly intended. You got the Knicks, the Pistons, the Hawks, and the Spurs. That's just in the NBA. He also played in China. I believe he played some games for the Sugarland Skeeters, uh, an unaffiliated minor league baseball team uh, about 40 miles south of where I am right now. And uh, honestly, if you have a rec softball league and you need an extra guy, call T-Mac because he's probably up for it. Um, he, he has not turned down many opportunities of any kind uh, later on in his career as he sort of bounces around, does different things. Obviously, he's broadcasting now, and uh, I think an entertaining voice, certainly. But what do you think of McGrady, and do you think of McGrady as a Rocket? He's going into the Hall of Fame. Do you think of him as a Rocket? I think it would be hard to. I mean, for me, there's a moment where it just, yeah, in my memories, that, that defined going to Rockets games for me, but bulk of his career was spent elsewhere. He certainly never lived up to the promise he had here. Uh, other interesting names on the list, Bill Self, a uh, legendary Kansas head coach. Um, he's 54, and he is uh, pretty qualified. I mean, you certainly expect I mean, living legend. It's kind of a tag you could apply to him. 2008 national title, 13 straight Big 12 conference titles. That's insane. 632 career wins at uh, four different schools, including the 416 at Kansas. And uh, 43 18 uh, win-loss NCAA tournament record. How many Elite Eight appearances? Nine, uh, which is a very, very solid number. So his credentials are uh, certainly in order. Uh, the other interesting name, Jerry Krause, two-time NBA Executive of the Year. He was responsible, at least in his mind, for putting together those Bulls teams that won those championships with Jordan at the helm. Uh, or I guess Phil Jackson was at the helm. Jordan was sort of the uh, the marquee guy or what have you. But, uh, of course, that was a tense relationship between these two guys. They did not like each other. If I recall correctly, Jordan used to openly call Krause uh, a toad. And to Michael's credit, if you look at Jerry Krause and a picture of him, you know, I, I see it. But, uh, but he was very vocal and very open about that, antagonized the GM of the team. That's how much power Michael Jordan had. Uh, as, as the star and face of the league at the time. But you look at Dick Krause, he was a weird guy, not well-liked, not well-respected either, even though he may have deserved it. Uh, six NBA championship rosters. Uh, got Dennis Rodman. Who'd he give up to give Dennis Rodman? Will Perdue. That'll win you a trivia uh, prize sometime. 
obviously got Steve Kerr for very, very cheap. He was very effective for them. Um, he drafted Scotty Pippen, Horace Grant, Tony Kukoc, and uh, B.J. Armstrong, all guys that contributed on championship squads. Uh, very plus guys there. So he, he had his hand in a lot of what the Bulls were doing. He'll be uh, enshrined as well. He has, of course, since passed away. I don't think that Michael's going to be there rooting for him. I, I wonder if he doesn't have a quote. Uh, about Kraus and how little credit Michael Jordan thinks he deserves for the success there. Moving on to the current uh, Rockets. They are third in the Western Conference right now, following yet another loss to the Golden State Warriors as I record this. And uh, that's where they're going to be locked in, I imagine. Barring disaster in Utah pulling off some sort of improbable string of wins. Uh, Six-game reigning, four games up in the loss column. Not possible to catch the Spurs. So to me, you're locked in at three. The more interesting question is, the MVP race, and everybody's talking about it. You've got Westbrook averaging a triple-double. You've got Harden doing what he's doing for this team, a more successful team, and then also, I think, uh, a sneaky option. Historically, if you go back and look, most of the MVPs that have been chosen came from one or two-seeded teams in either conference. Kawhi Leonard, uh, you know, some of what he does, it does not necessarily show up in numbers in terms of being a defensive presence, playing great on-ball defense, taking you know the other player's best perimeter guy, shutting them down completely. He can play, he can bang around with you in the post. I mean, Kawhi's a very good defender. He's one uh, defensive player of the year, of course. I think it's a little harder to quantify that sometimes. I think what he's doing is pretty impressive. So I wonder, if you make the case for Harden over Westbrook, because if you recall, Oster Robertson, Average a triple-double, finished third in the MVP voting that season. So it's not like a given rule in the NBA. You have to award the MVP to someone for averaging a triple-double. That's that's an arbitrary, meaningless stat. And I, I sincerely have come to hate uh, the amount of um, crowing and social media tweeting and, and what have you that goes on after another triple-double is accrued. It is a weird line in the sand that doesn't mean much to me. Uh, it doesn't mean much to me in terms of Westbrook's potential candidacy for MVP. I don't think he's deserving, even though he's having a spectacular individual season. But as much of a homer as I am, I wonder if Kawhi Leonard isn't, uh, isn't more deserving than Harden. I would be curious to hear your thoughts. Tweet at me, at Cook or at the show, at Weekly Brewcast. Would be curious to hear why Harden is more deserving in your mind than Kawhi Leonard. That is more or less all that I care about this week. Uh, we'll keep it brief here and uh, get back to you with a full in-house, in-studio uh, ensemble cast next week. But uh, until then, let's listen to Robert Flores and what he has to say about the Astros and the MLB landscape this coming season. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. And now we welcome into the show MLB Network's Robert Flores. Uh, obviously, you're going to talk a little bit of Astros here, but uh, but first, Robert, the reason I became acquainted with you, aside from afar, is your brother, Richard Flores, was the head coach of Sci Falls Basketball, the uh, 6A state title winner this year. You were in attendance. I did not get to go there, but uh, I imagine that you're probably pretty thrilled, pretty proud. It seemed from your social media presence like you were uh, pretty enthused about that victory for your brother, huh? It, it was uh, it was amazing. It was a uh, a tremendous accomplishment, um, you know, for for him and for the school. Uh, but it was really just also just a great thing for our family because uh, you know I, I I know how hard he works and I know how much uh, he cares about the game and how much he cares about the kids and his program. So just to see him get rewarded, to see his kids get rewarded in that fashion on that stage. It was amazing. 
I'm from the uh, the Bill Simmons School of Sports Journalism, where I, I actively root for the teams that I cover, and I do love them <laughs> as well. And it was a thrill to see him get to win that because I'm out there at practice all the time. I see them yeah. working hard, and I have a lot of respect for the way he does he conducts his business out there at Sci Falls. But uh, but that was cool. I, it was cool that you see a national guy kind of giving love to a, a local high school product. You know, even though it's your brother, obviously, it's, yeah, you know, it was a thrill for the program to have you behind them like that. No, it, it was uh, it was ama- it was amazing. It was a great. It was just a great ride, and uh, uh, I, I still haven't watched the game broadcast in its entirety. I, you know, I set it to record before I left, um, so I, I, I still got to do that. That way I can enjoy it in another fashion. Well, I would take a pass on watching the Skyline game again because that triple overtime low-scoring mess was, uh, was oh one reason why they God. need a shot clock. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it, and uh, look, I, I don't know anything about anything, but I, I think that that tactic – kind of throws your own team's offensive rhythm off. You know, I, I think it's, it's difficult to defend, but also I think it's just difficult to play and execute, especially in that situation and that, in that format and that event. So yeah, I wasn't a fan. So I, I was aware that you went to U of H. I think eighty nine to ninety two, if I'm not mistaken, were the years you were there. Yeah. So yeah, right. you were there for Andre Ware, David Klingler, obviously. Uh, I wonder how closely you keep up with the program now, and and what are your feelings about the state of athletics at U of H with Fertitta and all the money coming in with Major Applewhite taking over the football program? I mean, do you still keep up pretty closely? Yeah, um, I do. I'm I'm excited. Uh, clearly, uh, Tom Herman was able to take the program uh, to a different level and a different profile. And, and, and I'm confident that that major can can build on that and sustain and uh, also add to it. Um, I covered major when he was a quarterback at the uh, University of Texas and I was at Austin. Uh, I, I've known him for a long time. I think very highly of him. I always knew he would make a fantastic coach and he's shown that he has succeeded as an assistant. And here is his you know, first head coaching job. Uh, look, there's there's going to be growing pains, and you and, and every new coach in a, in a new position, it, it, there's you know there's a learning curve. But I think he's built uh, a great support staff around him. Um, I, I think that if you know with the facilities, the new practice facility, indoor practice facility is going to be coming online soon. And as far as basketball goes, look, next year they're going to have to play you know at Texas Southern University. That that's that that's going to be that that's not going to be easy, but when you see the the drawings and the and the the, the what they're expecting for that new facility, um, you know, formerly Hoffine Pavilion, it is going to be top notch. It's going to be first class, and it's just another example of why the University of Houston is you know showing itself to be a great a great venue for for student athletes that are in the Houston area, as we know, there's all sorts of talent and all sorts of sports that Houston is your home and you can continue to make it your home. Yeah. And I see that with a lot of the athletes I cover. Obviously I do uh, high school sports. I'm, I'm fairly new to the sports media industry. So that's where a lot of people start. And, uh, and the, the p- talent pool here is phenomenal. So I, I I'm optimistic. It seems like to me, you'll get coach Sampson. He's a guy who I think is a terrific basketball mind. He's a friend. He's been on the show a number of times. You look at, you know, major, it's his first head coaching opportunity. It seems like that's kind of the template for success. U of H can't necessarily draw the, the biggest talents who are already making the big money and have the 
you know, proven track record of success. Maybe you have to take a guy who is uh, getting his first opportunity at head coaching there. But I, I like it. I mean, I'm optimistic as well. I'm glad to hear that uh, that you are. But but it reminds me, you've covered it all. You mentioned covering major when you were uh, in Austin. Uh, you've been an anchor on SportsCenter before. You're now with MLB Network and uh, NHL as well, if I understand correctly. So I, what's... Is there, for me, I'm a guy that wants to eventually wind up, and I love my job, but I eventually want to wind up covering the NBA. That's sort of my passion. Is that is that the same with you? Did you love baseball that way and want to be where you are? Or did you just kind of end up there via happenstance? You know, for this particular, look, I, I wanted to be in, in this uh, field and in this industry since I was six or seven years old. I mean, so for me, it was um, a, a lifelong dream. And, you know, I, I had wanted to work at, at ESPN and do sports center since, you know, since I saw Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann and, and, you know, for, for me, that's kind of the golden age of, of sports center. So uh, to get a chance to anchor, you know, the flagship uh, show of ESPN and be a part of, of one of the, the, the most iconic brands uh, in, in media uh, it, it was it's it was amazing, and I and I did it for about a decade. Um, but you know, I, I I equate it to a lot of the the athletes that we cover in that sometimes you just need a change. You just need um, you you just need a different venue, a different challenge. And for me, MLB Network, uh, what was that was that challenge? Uh, I I enjoyed my time thoroughly at ESPN. I could have stayed there if I wanted to, but as I said, it, it just, for me, the, the, the time was right to, for something new and something different. And uh, I couldn't be happier. Well, we're happy you're there, too. We're always glad to get a national perspective on our local team because we do sometimes get uh, you know, enmeshed with the, the local media and so forth. It's always good to hear an outside perspective. One thing that's going to be different this year that we've touched on, and Hunter Atkins, who is a co-host sometimes on this show, a frequent contributor, wrote about recently, which is the Talos Hill is gone. It's kind of a change to the stadium. In my opinion the Astros are losing something distinctive in their stadium, something I kind of liked that set them apart. Um, from what I understand, the players are kind of not, uh, it's not that big of a deal. I think uh, Hunter wrote that they're hoping the new dark green uh, Ivy uh, is going to help the batter's eyes see the pitches and things like that. I don't know. What's your feeling about that? Do you like the distinctiveness that, that stadiums have, or do you would you prefer to see them be sort of uniform so that everybody's playing by the same rules? Well, I, I like Powell Hill myself. I thought it was kind of a, as you said, a, a unique element it was quirky it was it was different certainly so so i liked it but if i i don't really see it as being that uh you know it, it's not going to totally ruin the stadium experience for the fans or or anything like that um you know you're talking about the batting eye uh i think the astros hit like three homers <laughs> last night against the uh against the cubs and i think the cubs hit a couple as well so uh, Minute Maid has proven to be a hitter's park, and I don't think that that's going to change. And, and you're right, maybe it does improve a little bit. But uh, I, I, I liked it. I, th I thought it was – I was kind of sorry to see it go. But uh, if the club thought it, this was the, the right direction to go, um, then, then I'm certainly not going to quibble about it. Speaking of that Cubs game, and that was uh, very recently as we're recording this, but I was following your Twitter account there, and you said you turned it on. Addison Russell hit a home run immediately when he switched yeah. on. And I gathered from the tweet that that's uh, it's kind of a, a perpetual or constant thing for you. What do we have to do to get you to stop watching the Astros, man? I, I, I know it's kind of a running joke between myself and uh, uh, my Twitter followers that are also Astro fans is that every time I seem to watch them, 
they, they, they end up losing, or like I said, I turned the game on and, uh, two pitches later, Addison Russell takes uh, Lance McCullers deep. So, uh, it, I, I'm, I'm definitely a passionate Astro fan and, uh, but, but I'm that way with the, with the Rockets and the, and the Texans. So, uh, but, but it is kind of a running joke and I inevitably get the, would you please stop watching the Astros so we, so they can win a game. So it, it, it's something, uh, that, uh, like I said, is kind of a running joke between myself and my followers. Well, I fully expect the Astros to win some games this year because you look at, uh, particularly start with the pitching rotation there. Obviously, Lance McCullers and Dallas Keuchel both spent considerable time uh, injured last season or at least not playing at 100%. I think that was a factor in the perceived weakness of that pitching rotation. Uh, And I heard Keuchel had velocity issues last season heading into the season, which he doesn't this year. Uh, I'm hearing good things out of, you know, spring training and, and spring ball and so forth. So a healthy McCullers, arguably the Astros best pitcher if Keuchel's returns to form that's pretty strong Charlie Morton comes in uh how do you perceive this this Astros rotation to uh to play out I think last year they were the 12th best field independent pitching team in 2016 but that was with the injuries where, where do you see them being this year I, I think they're going to be better um because as you mentioned McCullers was injured uh Keuchel was also not himself um however I still think that they need another starter um I I, I still think that that they will find a way to make a deal with the White Sox to bring Jose Quintana into the rotation. He is that missing piece. I, I'm also interested to see what Charlie Morton does. I mean, a guy that, you know, that signing didn't really create a lot of buzz, a lot of uh, sizzle, but, you know, a guy that can move the ball, that has movement on his fastball. And now you're seeing in spring training, he's throwing like 95, 96, which I wasn't aware that he could do. Um, but also last year, he spent a lot of time injured. Uh, he had a blown out hamstring. So um, I'm interested to see what he does. Colin McHugh is probably going to start the season on the disabled list. Um, so I think the pitching staff is going to be better. Ken Giles still concerns me a little bit. But as I said, I'm a passionate Astro fan, so I get nervous for just about anything. But uh, I-, I liked what I saw from Gregerson at the World Baseball Classic. So I think that if those two guys are right, that's a, that's a really interesting eighth-nine uh, inning combination. So, But I, I do think that ultimately Jose Quintana will find his way to Houston. You know, it's interesting you bring up the, the World Baseball Classic, and I think that uh, if I remember correctly – uh, nobody watched it in this country, from what I understand. I mean, I talked to people, nobody had any thoughts about it, nobody tweeted about it. It's It doesn't seem to have the cachet that I think you'd want that kind of uh, an event to have there. Is there is there a way to make it more popular and more relevant to people? Should we? Is it important? Well, you, you know, this year, for the first time, they the World Baseball Classic sur- surpassed uh, a million fans in total attendance. Uh, the ratings for the semifinal and the finals which we had on MLB Network, were among our most highest-rated games of all time, and that includes postseason games. Yeah, so, you know, I, I think there is a buzz uh, surrounding this event, and I think the, the run that the United States had, a, a team which ultimately won the World Baseball Classic for the first time, I, I, I think that that had a lot to do with it. So I think it's starting to get there. I mean, it's, a, it's still a young event. It's it's still brand new, so there there were going to be some growing pains and and some you know issues to try to get traction uh, 
on on social and and fans in general. But I think I think they're starting to get there. You think if America winning maybe has an impact in terms of people wanting to tune in and wanting to be involved and follow it? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at that game, I believe it was still in in pool play before the semifinals. Uh, the United States against the uh, Dominican Republic. Uh, Saturday night, a Saturday night game in San Diego. We had on the network, and that's the game where Adam Jones robbed Manny Machado uh, of a home run. I mean, at 1 a.m., we had a million people watching that game. I mean, think about that. In in mid March, you've got March Madness, all the other things going on, and you got a baseball game where you had a million people watching it at at 1 a.m. So. I think the event is starting to find its footing, and I think it's only going to get better. I hope so, because it's—I mean—it's a really cool event, and it's a cool thing. I'd like to see more people, at least on my Twitter timeline, you know, kind of being involved and following it and so forth. So that's a, well, that's encouraging stuff there. Um, so back to the Astros, though. You have some off-season acquisitions: Brian McCann, Josh Reddick, Carlos Beltran. We talked about Charlie Morton a little bit. Just looking at the, the larger landscape of the AL West, uh, where does that place the Astros in terms of getting better relative to other teams or getting worse relative to other teams? Where do you see them finishing or playing out uh, this season in the AL West? You know, I think that they improved the most. Okay. However, the Rangers still run this division. And until the Astros show that they can beat the Rangers, then the Rangers still run, still run things, you know? And, you know, look, a lot of guys in that clubhouse that weren't, you know, part of the team the last two years when the Rangers have consistently beaten their brains out. Um, But there's still a lot of guys in the clubhouse that were so you know they need to prove it to themselves that they can beat the rangers Uh, are the rangers as good as they were the last couple of years i don't think so are the rangers still good enough to win the division i think so um and but the other team to keep an eye out on uh out for is the team that the astros will open up with and that's the seattle mariners um you know they they made a lot of moves um, they get Gene Segura from uh, Arizona to add to that offense. Robinson Cano can mash. Nelson Cruz obviously uh, hit hit you know with power. So I think that save for the Oakland A's, uh, Astros, Mariners, Rangers, uh, two or heck maybe three three teams come out of that division for uh, for the postseason. Oh yeah, because everyone makes the postseason. I always forget about that. <laughs> um, so obviously there are some guys with injury issues. Keuchel was hurt. You know, McCullers we talked about. Morton, obviously a guy who was injured recently. I mean, there, there are a plethora of guys on this roster that uh, have had some issues with injury. Does that does that concern you at all? Is that uh, as a fan, as you mentioned, you are? Do you worry about that, or like, or, or do you think that? Um, I guess what do you think the ideal ceiling for this team is, and what do you think realistically the ceiling for this team is, given all those injury issues? You know what, do do I think that they can make it to the World Series? Yes. Um, But Cleveland is really good. I mean, the Indians are really, really good. I mean, they get everyone back. I mean, they they lose Napoli, but they get Eddie Encarnacion. Um, They get Michael Brantley back. They're starting pitching, uh, which had problems with injuries. Uh, those guys are back. So, you know, I, I could see the Astros making it to the ALCS against Cleveland and, and losing six or seven. Um, 
But yeah, I, I think this team, if, if they get, if they add to their starting pitching, then I think they become as good as anyone in the major leagues. And that includes teams like the Dodgers and the Cubs and the national league. So um, I, I think it's realistic to say that this, that this Astros team can make a deep, deep run in the postseason. Will that lead to a World Series? Maybe, but obviously it's going to be very tough. Well, I think there are a lot of fans here in Houston that would shake hands with you on an AC- ALCS berth right now and be pretty satisfied with that. Sure, it. So we'll, absolutely. Uh, a bit of a far cry from the uh, they're going to win the World Series Sports Illustrated cover a couple seasons ago. But uh, <laughs> you mentioned being a fan. I think it's interesting because I'm the same way. I, I definitely have... Uh, very strong views about teams that I cover relative to the teams that they're playing and things like that. I mentioned Bill Simmons as a guy who sort of made it acceptable to be a fan and be in this industry. Do you, do you sense that that's changed, that maybe we're moving away from sort of the stodgy old, you know, facts-only journalism of, of 40, 50 years ago and kind of in a new era where people have their loves and have their teams and that's okay? Well, I, I think that it's – look, we're, we're never going to get away or we never should get away from facts being the most important thing in a story. Okay, that 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 should never, ever go away in journalism, whether it's sports, news, uh, whatever, that facts are the most important part. But when especially when you're talking about sports, um, you know, we're all fans. Uh, We wouldn't be in this business if we didn't enjoy sports, if we didn't have uh, certain allegiances. But I think I think people realize that that I'm that I'm uh, professional and, and can, can have it. I think you can have it both ways if you're careful. That's encouraging. I would certainly like to like to believe I can have it both ways and be good at my job and also have a lot of love for the, the teams that I cover and the teams that I love the most. And, uh, okay, so more generally in the MLB, one of the storylines I'm interested in following is Bryce Harper. Um, I've been seeing a lot of chatter on Twitter. Twitter's where I get most of my news and insight and so forth. But it seems like his attitude and demeanor lately kind of parallels what people were hoping would happen with Trump, which is a guy that's known for speaking his mind, saying some crazy stuff, is suddenly exhibiting a more professional, um, dare I say, boring demeanor. And I think it has a lot to do with his impending free agency. I guess he asked for 10 years, $400 million. Uh, what, what do you make of this, uh, this change in direction for Bryce Harper? And, and how much is he actually worth? And what do you think he's likely to get on the open market? You know, it, it's difficult to say, you know, well, this guy, he's not worth that. I, I always, when, when people say that about certain athletes, uh, I always go back to, you know, Will Smith makes $25, $30 million a picture. And a lot of his recent movies, they stink, okay? So, look, if Bryce Harper wants to get $400 million over however X amount of years, then sure, he's going to play 130 games more than likely. Uh, look, last season was a down year. But, you know, Bryce Harper, I, I've never met him, but just from what I've observed, he's a different kind of cat. He's a different dude, which is fine. I mean, is he going to be the, the leader of your team? I, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think he'll ever be that guy. But is he a guy that's going to put up MVP caliber numbers consistently? Yes. Is he going to sell a lot of tickets and a lot of merchandise? Yes. Um, so whatever he gets, he's worth 
broadening our scope up, you mentioned again you're a fan of the Astros, obviously. Houston teams in general, my favorite team of any sport anywhere would be the Houston Rockets, and it's quite a season that they're having. I think James Harden has a case for MVP. Mike D'Antoni has a case for Coach of the Year. Daryl Morey has a coach for a case for Executive of the Year. It's been really spectacular there, particularly leaning into the MVP race. Obviously, people are talking about Russell Westbrook's triple-double average. I think they forget that Oscar Robertson uh, finished third in MVP voting the year that he had a triple-double as an average as well. What if you had a vote in the MVP race, is it going to Harden, or do you like one of the other guys out there, like LeBron, Kawhi, or Russ? Of the belief that I think that you can, <laughs> you could give the the MVP trophy to to LeBron James every year if you wanted to. Um, I, I I think he is, believe it or not, I think LeBron James is underrated. You know, I, I'm I, I don't get all the criticism and all the hate um, that is directed his way now. Clearly, the Cavaliers are going through a terrible month and a terrible uh, time right now, but they'll get it fixed. There, it's still a long way to go, and I think we're just to sort of kind of fall into that prisoner of the moment sort of thing. But that being said, I, I think what what James Harden has done, I, I, I give him the edge over Russell Westbrook just from – because if you look at certain – metrics and ratings and things like that. I, I, I think that, you know, Harden, I think, I think is, is just a more efficient player than, than Russell Westbrook. So, I mean, clearly you're splitting hairs here. These guys are both dynamic. They're both in their primes, both playing at a high level. Um, but, and obviously I'm a Houston rocket apologist. Everyone knows that, <laughs> but uh, I would probably give the slight edge to, uh, to James Harden. Yeah, I think I think wins above replacement would be uh, one metric where he ranks considerably higher that I put some weight into. Uh, I, I certainly hope they win all those awards. I think they're all deserving there. But uh, okay, well, one more before I let you go. Your uh, your brother, the state title winner, obviously, he has a lot of kids coming back. I don't know if you've looked closely at his roster, full of juniors. I expect them all to take a big step forward. Do you think it's likely we'll see Cy Falls again in the state title next year? You know, it's it's difficult. You know, um, because I. I you know, I keep thinking about during their playoff run, their most now in the semifinals that full overtime game against Skyline. But I, I remember him telling me, you know, when they were getting ready for the postseason, he was like, "Man, if we can just get out of Houston, I think we might have a chance." It, it's so difficult to get out of the Houston area in terms of you know your 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 map or, or path through the postseason there's so many talented teams and players and coaches so i i think it's it's a big advantage that we've got all all those guys coming back um but as as we saw it, it and richard will be the first to tell you it, it it takes more than five guys it takes an entire team and he got a lot of contributions uh from guys off the bench i mean i keep thinking about the um uh is it scopel the 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 yeah, I mean, it, that, that's just one of the kids, uh, a senior that, you know, came from the football team. And, you know, he didn't do – he didn't have big points, but, like, he had big, crucial moments in, in, in the state tournament in particular when, um, when D.J. Weaver was in foul trouble. He was one of the guys that came off the bench to, you know, body up the other team's big man and get big rebounds or get tap outs and stuff like that or tap back. So – it, it takes an entire team, but I know I know everyone's excited about the chance to kind of uh, you know build off what they did 
last season and, and maybe get back there again. Well, I can tell you're fired up about them just as I am, and it's uh, it's a thrill to hear you talk about Cy Falls and to hear them sort of mentioned by uh, by someone of your uh, of your stature. So uh, excellent yeah, I, work! I I'll be it, following yeah. closely as well. <laughs> well, right. we uh, you only have 130,000 followers on Twitter, which uh, for a guy who does the work you do and is as funny as you are, I think is not nearly enough. So if the listeners do not already too. follow you and want I to, I think I think you're <laughs> absolutely right. Absolutely. <laughs> well, let's get you some more, man. How can they find you on Twitter? Uh, they can follow me at Roflo, R-O-F-L-O. I'm also on Facebook. And we certainly recommend that you do that. Robert, thank you so much for your time, man. We loved having you on. Hey, thank you very much. Anytime. Closing time. And that beautiful noise you just heard was MLB Network's Robert Flores weighing in on uh, the Astros, the upcoming season here uh, within Major League Baseball, and how that AL West is likely to shake out. I, I feel pretty optimistic after talking to him, and I understand that uh, he's a fan and he's going to have that hometown optimism as well. He's pretty open about that. But uh, things are looking pretty good at the stage right now. It is a long, long slog of a season. Uh, I will be uh, considerably less than invested and interested, I would imagine, by about halfway through. But but at this point, it's all new and fresh. And, uh, you know, uh, come on, baseball. I'm ready for it, uh, just like anyone else at the moment. A change of pace sometimes is exactly what you need. Well, that's more or less our episode for today, for this week. I'm sorry that it's basically been uh, wall-to-wall Kevin Cook. Um, I shouldn't apologize for that. It's really not a bad thing, but uh, I do enjoy it when the other guys are in here to give me some structure and guidance. But uh, in any case, we do have a new review. Um, It's been a little while since I've had the opportunity to look at these and to read them. Uh, We did have one since the last time we've shouted out our reviewers, and we know this guy, too. It's Luke Bronner. Luke Bronner, of course, is the host of the H podcast, which we're in love with. Um, Some uh, overtones of NPR-style interview, uh, digging deep into individual people around the city of Houston that that Luke Bronner feels contributes to the the spirit of the city of Houston, if you will. It's been uh, been really great so far. The last one was about a tattoo artist named Nate Beavers. Uh, It was just fascinating to, to listen to how he got his start. And, uh, and the way he impacts people's lives. I don't have any tattoos yet, so not something I'm necessarily acquainted with, but uh, but definitely interesting stuff. Luke Bronner says, absolutely killer show with five stars. We agree, Luke. This show surprised me. I didn't realize anybody in Houston was putting out such great content, incredibly informative, fun, and really well-produced. These guys really know their stuff and excel at engaging their listeners. I would quibble with that. I'm a fan and will be a regular day one listener. Great job, the Weekly Brew guys. Keep them coming. Well, that's uh, that's the template for a review. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't be upset at all if you went to iTunes right now, clicked on the Ratings and Reviews tab, copied Luke Bronner's entire review, and pasted it into the box when prompted. I would be fine seeing another 10 or 12 of those show up, uh, and I encourage you guys to go do that. We will give you a shout-out on the show if you leave us a review and like the teleprompter in that movie with uh, Will Ferrell where he plays an anchorman. Anchorman is the name of it. That uh, I will read pretty much anything you put here. Uh, we may have to throw some bleeps in if you go real crazy, but uh, but we would like you to leave more reviews. We have 66. I feel like we're like an 85 to 100 review show. So we're actually underperforming right now, and that's not even my fault. I remind you guys every week that's entirely your fault, but it's easily fixable. Uh, just tweet at me, at Cook if you need help figuring out how to do it. Uh, you can just give me the password to your iTunes account, and I will do it. That is our show for the week. Uh, join us next week because we are going to have everybody back, all the people that you know and love. 
or some of you, you know, know and don't love. <laughs> I've certainly gotten some not love from the listeners in recent weeks, and I don't hate it. I, I'm fine with an antagonistic, hostile relationship with the listenership. That's uh, that's right in my wheelhouse. But we will also have uh, current Baylor AD, Mac Rhodes, former University of Houston AD, Mac Rhodes. He's going to speak to uh, his time at both schools and, uh, and a little bit about just uh, generally college sports. I think it's going to be a fantastic interview. We haven't recorded it yet, but I, I have full faith. Uh, I mean, I've spoken to the guy a number of times in my life, and he always has interesting insight and perspective, and we're looking forward to getting it. But otherwise, I hope you enjoyed the show. Certainly go follow Flores and uh, and myself at K. Michael Cook on Twitter, at Weekly Brewcast, the other place you can find us. Anywhere else, just uh, Google Weekly Brewcast, and you're going to turn up something of ours. It'll be something that you're looking for, for sure. Thank you all for joining me, and I will catch you guys next week. And remember, no matter who you are, where you go, or what you do this week, always, always be responsible. You've been listening to The Weekly Brew.